late in his life, Mark Twain, who is the author of The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, said that life would be infinitely happier if we could only be born at the age of 80 and gradually approach 18. What he's acknowledging in that is the universal observation that with age comes, along with wisdom, many hardships. But it's also true that with age, with experience, there come many blessings, many opportunities to increase joy. When God created the world, he created it good. And the goodness of the world continues today even after it's been ravaged by the fall, by sin. There are still things that we enjoy in this world. Things like deep relationships, experiences of beauty, satisfaction of accomplishments. But it can't be denied that if we live long enough, we will know many sorrows as well. Deep sorrows. Jesus himself said to his disciples that in this world you will have many tribulations. When Paul and Barnabas went on that first missionary journey to plant churches in the region of Galatia, after they had planted the last church, they decided to go back where they had been the scripture tells us in Acts 14 to strengthen the souls of the disciples and encourage them to continue in the faith. And they did that by telling them that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Life is full of trials. It is full of afflictions. That is a universal reality. This universal reality was poetically expressed by Job in his book, Job 5.7. When he says, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. The longer you live, the more trouble and affliction accumulate. Even the most charmed life experiences the ravages of time spent in a fallen world. Now, it may be hard for some of you young people to really come to terms with this or to believe this or appreciate it, but it is an undeniable and inevitable truth that the longer you live, the more your physical constitution deteriorates. Your muscles aren't as strong or as flexible as they used to be. Your joints aren't as nimble as they used to be. Your mind isn't as quick as it used to be. Your memory isn't as sharp as it used to be. Your, I forgot. <laughs> you get the point, right? It's just the way that things go. This is a universal reality of inevitable deterioration. And this reality has set many people throughout history on a quest to find some kind of magical cure. Something that will reverse aging that will stop old age. Alexander the Great was reportedly looking for a river with such powers in the latter years of his life before he died in 320 BC. Legend has it that Juan Ponce de Leon actually found a fountain of youth in St. Augustine here in Florida, though neither him nor those who were with him lived to tell about it if they drank from it. Today, we have the rapidly developing field of cryonics with its goal of overcoming the effects of all disease and aging 
and even death itself. One of the largest cryonics facilities is found in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's called the Alcor Life Extension Foundation. For a substantial fee, sick and dying patients can have their bodies stored in vaults, the temperatures of which have been reduced to 320 degrees below zero, and left there in hopes that a cure will be found for whatever it was that caused them to take this action, and the day will come when their lives can be renewed. It seems that the desire to overcome the debilitating ravages of life knows no bounds. In our study this morning of God's Word, we come to a passage in which the Apostle Paul explains the secret of living with hope and joy even while experiencing trials and afflictions. Our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16, 17, and 18. The last few verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're using one of the Bibles that's provided for you, it's on page 966. 966, the last few verses of that fourth chapter. I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read these verses for us this morning and as we work our way through them in our study together. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. These three verses contain three contrasts. There's a contrast in each of those verses. In verse 16, the contrast is between the outer self that is wasted away and the inner self that is experiencing renewal. In verse 17, the contrast is between a light momentary affliction and the eternal weight of glory. And then in verse 18, the transient things that are seen are contrasted with unseen things that are eternal. There's also a very important logical progression in Paul's thinking revealed in these verses. And in order to appreciate the point that he makes, we need to follow the way that he reasons to make it. He starts by restating a truth, a principle, a, a statement that he makes back in verse 1. He says, we do not lose heart. Now, Paul had many reasons to lose heart. He had many opportunities to become discouraged and despondent because he had experienced incredible trials in his life. Setbacks, opposition, criticism. In fact, he writes this letter of 2 Corinthians because of critics in Corinth that had infiltrated the church and begun had begun to undermine his credibility as an apostle. But in the face of all of these afflictions that he experienced, he doesn't lose heart. He perseveres in joy and in hope. And the reason that he does so is told to us in verse 16. It's because of what's happening to him inwardly, even as he's undergoing trials outwardly. His inner life is being renewed 
as his outer life is wasting away. And then in verse 17, he tells us why this is happening. It's because the trials, the afflictions that look meaningless and look like they are only debilitating him in reality are working for his eternal benefit. And then in verse 18, he tells us how this works. How these things come to pass. The means that God has provided for us to face trials and afflictions without losing heart. And the point that he makes in these three verses is that an eternal perspective produces a hope-filled perseverance. We need to cultivate an eternal perspective. We need to develop what J.I. Packer calls a two-world view. This world and the world to come, which by faith in Jesus Christ we have already begun to experience. I want to look at this argument of the Apostle Paul with you by breaking it down into its three parts that follow along with the three verses of our text. So we see in verse 16, first of all, as the outer life is deteriorating, the inner life is being renewed. In verse 16, Paul claims to have found the secret that Mark Twain and Alexander the Great and Ponce de Leon and really everyone wants to know. He claims to experience daily renewal even as he faces ongoing affliction. Listen to it again. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Outer self, inner self. What does he mean by that? The outer self, outer nature. It's, it's not merely our outward body. It's every aspect of our physical lives, of our physical constitution. Your brain, your liver, your heart, your sense of hearing, your sense of smell, your eyesight, all of those things. As trouble, trial, age accumulates, they begin to waste away. And that word waste away, it's only used a handful of times in the New Testament. In other places, it's used of a boat that is capsized. It is used of being destroyed, consumed, wiped out. Our outer selves deteriorate because of age. But not only because of age. We also lose bodily and mental function through disease and affliction, through injuries, through things that are common to the human race. And that's what everybody wants to avoid. It's why some people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to be subjected to cryonics in hope that the day will come when their life can be renewed. Yet Paul says, even in the experience of ongoing outward deterioration, he experiences internal renewal. The renewal of what he calls his inner self, his inner nature. What one writer has called the unseen personality that is visible only to God and partly to the person himself. This is your spiritual life. It's what the scripture elsewhere calls your new self that is created in a person by the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes and grants new life to you. When you experience what the Bible calls being 
born again. Having God open up your understanding to see the truth of Christ. Change your affection so you love Christ. Create faith in you so you trust Christ. Grant your repentance so you turn away from sin to Christ. It is that experience that creates a new person within you. Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians 5.17 as being a new creation. This new creation, new self, is further described in Ephesians 4.24 as created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This inner life of the Christian experiences ongoing renewal even as his outer life is wasting away. There's a spiritual refreshment that God supplies. God sustains him daily. Keeps him. Holds him fast every day. It takes place in the midst of ongoing daily deterioration. Don't you want that? The text says it's a reality. Paul says this is his testimony. It's a real experience. Outwardly wasted away. Inwardly experiencing renewal in our spiritual lives. We have some wonderful examples of that in this church. Are there people in the room right now who could testify to physical deterioration through aging, through disease, through injury, who would also testify that inwardly they know the sustaining grace of God. That they know what it is inwardly to be renewed by God's grace as He brings back to them regularly all that He's provided for them in Jesus Christ. It would be encouraging to many of you, I think, to get to know some of our brothers and sisters who are in such situations that are obvious. And just ask them. Ask them how God has dealt with them inwardly in the midst of their outward, ongoing trials. John Bunyan has illustrated this paradox in the Christian life, outwardly wasting away, inwardly being renewed, in his classic allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. Now, if you haven't read The Pilgrim's Progress, you need to read it, right? If you're new here, you may not have heard that before. If you hang around, you'll hear it again. Uh, You probably can get into heaven without reading Pilgrim's Progress, but you don't want to take that risk, so just go ahead and read it. It's a wonderful book that describes what happens to a person when he's converted and then travels to the celestial city. And shortly after Christian is converted, Bunyan describes what happens in a Christian's life by taking this pilgrim to the house of interpreter. And in interpreter's house, Christian is confronted with many lessons that he will need in his journey of faith. Some of them are in parables. Some of them are in pictures. And one of the pictures, one of the scenes that he's given is a fireplace in a wall. And and the fire in the wall is burning in the fireplace. And there's a man with a bucket of water. And he keeps throwing water on the fire. He's trying to put it out. But the fire keeps glowing hotter. It burns higher despite the guy trying to put it out with water. And so Christian asks interpreter, what does this mean? An interpreter answers this question. 
The fire is the work of grace that is wrought in the heart. He that casts water upon it to extinguish it and put it out is the devil. But in that you see the fire notwithstanding burn higher and hotter, you shall also see the reason it is so. So he takes him by the hand, leads him to the backside of the wall. And there he saw a man with a vessel of oil in his hand, which he continually cast upon the fire, but secretly. So Christian says, what does this mean? And the interpreter answered, this is Christ, who continually, with the oil of his grace, maintains the work already begun in the heart, by the means of which, notwithstanding what the devil can do, the souls of his people prove gracious still. Brothers and sisters, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. It's a promise. God started it. God will keep it. He will sustain it to the very end. As your outer life is wasting away, He will see to it that His work of grace in your inner life never goes out. Do you believe this? If you don't believe it, if you struggle to believe it, then you may not recognize the ways that God keeps the fire of His grace being fueled day by day in your life. But even if you don't see it and aren't aware of it, it's true nevertheless. Because God promises to do that. This is what kept Paul from losing heart. When the outer life is deteriorating, the inner life is being renewed. In verse 17, he goes on to explain why this is so. Why is it? Well, it's because current affliction produces eternal glory. Look at verse 17 with me. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Current affliction. Do you see the way he qualifies the affliction? The way he describes it? Two words. He calls it light. Slight. Insignificant. Hardly worth considering. And then he calls it momentary. It's something that just happens for a short time. It's fleeting. It's not lasting. Now that's quite an amazing statement giving, given what we know of Paul's life. If we did not know some of the experiences of affliction that he had to endure, we might listen to a statement like this and say, well, Paul is just out of touch. He's just a theorist. He's up in an ivory tower somewhere, somewhere and he's not living in the difficult life that I am living in. He's like a combat instructor who's never really been in battle. But Paul has already mentioned some of the hardships that he endured in the passages, the verses right above where we read this morning. Look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4. He says that he was afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. And then if you go to a couple of chapters over, chapter 6, look at what he says in verse 4 and verse 5. He says, he endured afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. And if you flip over to chapter 11, listen to the way he describes what he had experienced beginning in verse 23. He said he suffered imprisonments with countless beatings, Often near death. 
Verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. So when Paul talks about affliction, we need to remember that we're hearing from a guy who has experienced far more than anybody of us in this room has experienced. And when he calls it light, momentary, it ought to cause us to scratch our head and say, God, what did Paul see? I want to see what Paul saw. I want to experience what he experienced that caused him to look at all these things he's been through and say, yeah, light. Momentary. In contrast to the current afflictions in verse 17, he mentions eternal glory. Glory is weightiness. It's significance. It's importance. And the glory envisioned here is eternal. That is, it never ends. It's the glory that God has in Himself that as Jesus prayed in John 17, He will share with His people forever. And this glory is especially weighty. Do you see the language He uses? It's beyond all comparison. Now, in that phrase, Paul uses a word that he had used back in chapter 1, verse 8, to describe a specific affliction that he had experienced when he was in Asia. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8, he writes that we were so utterly burdened, that's that word, utterly burdened, beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. And now in our text, verse 17, he uses that same word twice. It's the word that we get hyperbole from. Overstatement. And Paul says it twice to, to set up a superlative glory that is beyond Anything that could ever be compared with it. That's what he's saying. What is most significant here in the text is the relationship between the affliction and the glory. Paul says that current affliction is preparing us for eternal glory. Affliction now is working to prepare for us eternal glory later so the relationship between our present trials and our future glory is not an incidental relationship it is an instrumental relationship trials now lead us to glory in the future what we experience as we live for Christ now that cause us to waste away in our outer selves are designed by God to prepare us for glory that is beyond compare. That's what Paul's saying. The contrast between current affliction and future glory helps us to transform the way that we experience trials now. When you compare them, Paul says, if you, if you put them on a balanced scale with Future glory here. 
all of its weightiness, and all of the trials here for Paul being beaten, being stoned, being shipwrecked, being lied about, being betrayed, being left for dead, being imprisoned. He said it doesn't even tip the scale. It doesn't cause the scale to move at all. It's beyond compare. He says in Romans 8.18 the same thing. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Brothers and sisters, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. That's what the Scripture assures us. That's what we need to remember. It's what we need to lay hold of in the midst of our ongoing present trials. Present trials are comparatively insignificant. Paul says they're light. They're momentary when we compare them to the glory that awaits us. But the relationship between our current afflictions and future glory is more than merely comparative. It's causative. Do you see that in verse 17? He says this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Affliction in a Christian's life does something to the Christian to prepare us to experience more glory in the future. I've tried to think about how that works. I don't know that I fully understand how it works. The text says that that's the way that it is. But perhaps it's like when the ancient metal workers would take silver or copper or bronze in order to make bowls. They would heat the metal up and then when it was hot, they would pound it out in its form. And then they'd put it back in the heat and then they'd pound it some more. They'd put it back in the heat and they'd pound it some more. And the larger the bowl the more times that process had to be repeated. More times in the furnace. More times being pounded. So that the more the metal was pounded and burned, the greater its capacity to hold water. I think that our afflictions, as we follow Jesus Christ, work something like that. There's no wasted pain in a Christian's life as you seek to live for Jesus Christ. The trials, the difficulties, the opposition, the pain, the sickness, the brokenness, God uses that to prepare for you an eternal weight of glory that's beyond comparison. He's doing something in the midst of your suffering. That's what Paul teaches us that's what Paul understood. Our affliction prepares us for an eternal weight of glory. When you stop and think of it, that's the way of our Master. Isn't that the way of Jesus Christ? God Himself from all of eternity, the Son of God, condescended to become a man. He emptied Himself 
taking the form of a servant. To be found in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself to the point of death. Even the death of a cross. He suffered. And after He suffered, God highly exalted Him and bestowed upon Him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His sufferings led to His glory. And in the same way, those who trust Jesus, follow Jesus, can believe as the Scripture teaches us that our sufferings lead us to enter into glory with Him. We don't earn glory. We experience more glory through the afflictions and trials that happen to us now. So when the outer life is deteriorating, our inner life is being renewed. And this is because our current affliction produces eternal glory. Well, in verse 18, Paul goes on to explain how this happens. How does it work? It happens, he says, as we look to unseen eternal realities rather than to visible temporary realities. Look at verse 18. Let me read it out loud for us. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the key to endurance. This is the key to having unbearable afflictions so transformed that they become light, momentary. We don't look at what is merely obvious. We don't exclusively look at the obvious. Things that are seen. What does he mean by this? Well, physical, daily realities. The things we face day in and day out. Like strained relationships. Like a slipping mind. A malfunctioning memory. Disappointments. Opposition at work. At home. Mistreatment by friends. Rejection by people you love. Shattered dreams. These are daily realities. We've got to confront them because we live with them day in and day out. And when Paul says that we look not at these things, I don't think he's saying ignore them. That would be unrealistic. And the Bible never calls us to be unrealistic. I think what he's saying is don't look only at them. Don't let these things fill your vision. And yet isn't that what often happens to us? The affliction comes, the difficulty comes, and it's confronting us, it's urgent, we've got to deal with it, and before long, if we're not careful, that's all we see, it's all we're thinking about, it's all that consumes our conscious awareness. Paul says, no, no, no. We've got to learn to look not just at those things, but to look at unseen realities. Paul helps us to fight against thinking about only the obvious things in life by reminding us that those things are transient. They're real. They have a measure of importance. But they're temporary. They're short-lived. Even if they last a lifetime, compared to eternity, they're a blip. They're a millisecond of a billion-year movie. So don't focus exclusively on them. 
Remembering this about our afflictions will help us to do what he goes on to tell us to do. Learn to look also at the things that are invisible. Unseen things. Things that are not obvious, not noticeable. But they are eternal. Never-ending. Lasting. What's he talking about? He's talking about spiritual realities. Things that God has revealed to us in His Word. And we could spend hours, days, listing such things. If you've read the Bible very much, you know there are many things God has revealed to be true that are not seen. Things like the great love that He has for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Love that will never let us go. Love that will hold us fast. Love from which we can never be separated. As Paul puts it in Romans 8, at the end of the chapter, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, a sword, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed as sheep all the day long. We are sheep regarded to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure... Listen to this, brother, sister. Listen to this. It's what God says of you. I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You ever feel like sometimes God's forgotten to love you? You ever feel unloved by God? Trials, afflictions, all these things are against you. You know God's sovereign. You know He could stop it. He could do it differently, but He doesn't. He doesn't. He brings it to you. He lets you have it. What's the temptation? God, don't you love me? And the unseen reality is, yeah, He loves with a love that will never let us go. He loves us with a love that is unbreakable. Or an unseen reality like what is taking place right now for every Christian in this room. Imagine this, brother, sister. If you could hear Jesus in this back room praying for you, would it change the way you think about your day? If you heard Jesus calling your name, praying for you, would it affect you? Wouldn't it? Well, just because you can't hear it doesn't mean it isn't happening. Because He ever lives to make intercession for His people. Right now. Right now. You have in heaven a Savior, an elder brother, the Lord, who is pleading your case based upon His merits. It's an unseen reality. But it's true. And it is that which we need to See, Paul says, in order for us to recognize that the affliction we face here, real though it is, is light, momentary, doesn't compare to what awaits us in glory. Or the certainty that God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Do you believe that? When you believe that when you drive down the road and somebody runs a red light and smashes your car? I mean, is God going to work that together for your good? 
You believe that when you show up to work and there's a pink slip waiting for you? When you go to the doctor and he, he says, I'm sorry. I wish it were different. It's an unseen reality, but it is a reality that not one hair on our head will be removed apart from the will of our Father in heaven. He's working it together for our good. He'll move heaven and earth itself in order to fulfill His good purposes for His children. Or our future resurrection with Jesus. Paul just mentioned this. Verse 14 of chapter 4. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. It's going to happen. If you're a child of God, if you're trusting Jesus Christ, the day is already on God's calendar when Christ will return. And if you have died before that, you'll be raised from the dead to be with Him forever. And if you're here when that happens, then you will be given a perfected body to be with Him forever. But you will be raised. It's going to happen. It's a reality. It's unseen. But it's true. These things, along with everything else the Bible tells us is true of those who trust Jesus, are the things that cannot be seen. That we must learn to look to. But of course, that begs the question, doesn't it? If we're to look to them, how in the world can we see them if we're unseeable? Well, not with our physical eyes. But with the eyes of faith. What does that mean? What does that mean? Simply this. Take God at His word. Take Him at His word. Believe what He says so that we can learn to see the unseeable. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we see a story where the king of Syria is upset with the prophet of Israel named Elisha. And so he's hunting Elisha. And he discovers that Elisha is in the town of Dothan. So the king of Syria sends his army to Dothan and they surround the city. And Elisha is there in a house with his servant. And early in the morning, the servant gets up and he goes outside and he sees the chariots and the horses of the Syrian army. And he goes back inside and he says, Elisha, Elisha, we're surrounded. What are we going to do? And I love the way the text reads at this point because the prophet responds to him, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, if you'd been the servant in that moment, you'd been outside. Elisha hadn't even been outside. And you've seen the armies arrayed against you and your master. And then you hear Elisha say, those with us are greater than those who are surrounding the city. Wouldn't you in that moment have had just an opportunity to doubt, <laughs> wonder if Elisha really knows what he's talking about? But what did Elisha do then? He prayed and he said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The Syrian army was there. It was visible. The army of the Lord of hosts was there and invisible. But it was there. And when 
the young man was given eyes to see, he realized the one who is with us is greater than the one who is opposed to us. The key was looking to the things that were unseen. That's what enabled Paul to look at his affliction that was so heavy, so great, that he tells us in chapter 1, I despaired of life. I thought it was going to kill me. I wanted to die. And then see it as light. Momentary. What changed? What changed? It wasn't the affliction. It wasn't His circumstances. What changed was His perspective. He realized that yes, this feels like it's going to kill me. It may kill me. But this isn't all that's going on. There are realities unseeable God has revealed that are true. And those realities, when I lay hold of them by faith, make these afflictions that feel like they're going to kill me appear to what they really are. Light. Momentary. Working in me for an eternal weight of glory. Brothers and sisters, this is the key for us too. It's faith. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying by that. I don't mean positive thinking. I don't mean just hoping against hope. Here's what I mean, quite simply. Taking God at His Word. Reading His Word. Seeing what He says. And taking it to heart. As we do that, we learn to live with an eternal perspective. We remember Everything that Jesus has accomplished by His life and His death and His resurrection and how that changes everything. That opens us up to a reality that is beyond what we can experience with our senses. And we believe what God says about that reality. We live in the light of it. And as we do, that eternal perspective produces a hope-filled perseverance. I know some of you are here this morning and you're not... Christians, and we're grateful you're here. So glad you've come. I hope you'll come again. You'll, you'll just feel at home coming to be with us. But I, I want to just say a specific word to you. Don't you want to know what Paul is talking about here? Wouldn't you like to experience life in a way that the afflictions that come against you, yes, they are real. Yes, they can be debilitating at times. But they don't have the final say because of realities that you have come to experience, you've come to bring into your life through faith? You can have that. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to live the life that we are obligated to live before God and His commandments that we don't live because we break His commandments. Jesus lived according to those commandments perfectly. And He secured a righteousness that God requires of every one of us. And then He chose to die on a cross in order to pay for sin that He did not commit. Sin that those of us who are in this world under God's authority, obligated to keep His commandments, have committed. And He laid down His life on the cross, suffered and died and was buried. And then three days later, God brought Him back from the dead, never to die again to put His stamp of approval on everything Jesus had accomplished by His life and death. So that all who trust in Jesus will come to be reconciled to this God. 
Come to know Him as Father. Come to be opened up to a world of unseen realities that enable you to experience ongoing grace, the promises of God to sustain you, to keep you, to renew you, no matter what comes against you. Don't you want that? Trust Jesus Christ as Lord. Bow to Him now. Just trust Him. Receive Him as Lord. And you will begin to experience this reality of unseen things that are eternal. And it will transform the afflictions and the difficulties that you go through in life that at times can seem like they're going to crush you, but in comparison to what awaits you because of Jesus, become light, momentary. And that eternal perspective will give you a hope-filled perseverance. I'd love to talk to you about this. If you have questions about it, I'll be available after the service. Other folks in our church will be available. We would love to talk more with you about it. Just simply let us know of your desire. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for speaking to us in this passage. Help us to see what you showed Paul. God, as your children, we need your spirit to work faith in us so that we're not just looking at the obvious things, but that we're enabled to look at unseen things that are eternal. Use all of the afflictions in our lives to prepare for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond compare. For we pray in Jesus' name.